And uh, but before we pray for the for the message again, um, I just want to let you know just how happy I am to be the first one you guys chose. Close to that says a lot about me. But then I talked with Ryan, and he's just like, yeah, we constructed this big list, and we called everyone, and no one answered. And so, so at least you're getting the full report on me. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Thank you. So, yeah. Okay, so um, why don't you guys turn to Isaiah 26.3 um, while I pray for our time together. Okay. You can turn to it or flip to it. Others can flip to it. Heavenly Father, we thank you today for the time for people to come together and worship and communion and to listen to your instruction and assurance. We ask that you fill us with your knowledge of your will through all of the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that we may live a life worthy of the Lord and please you in every way, bearing good fruit and in every good work, growing in your knowledge, being strengthened with all power according to your glorious might, so that we may have great endurance and patience in giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of your holy people in the kingdom of light. For you have rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. Amen. All right. Okay, so this morning's verse is Isaiah 26.3. Isaiah 26.3. And it reads as follows. You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. See, this scripture here is just the primary tool. If a Christian had a, a tool belt, it's the primary tool to endure what this world dishes out to us. With trials, sufferings, turbulence. I mean, have you, have you went through social media or watched the news lately and seen what's happening all around us? And even in our own city or cities, it's like, I, I can't believe it. It's like pandemonium. But Isaiah provided the word for us today, and he says to us today, you know what? God will keep you in perfect peace for those whose minds are steadfast or stayed on Him because those are the Christians that trust in you. It's the only way through it. And you know what this scripture suggests? That you, I'm sorry, you guys. By the way, I'm a psychotherapist. I'm a marriage and family therapist. And so I work with people thinking all day, every day. And so, yeah, that, that was a little clause I just thought I'd provide before I said this. I'm sorry, family, but you've got to have a strong mind. There's no way out of this unless you choose to have a strong mind and a strong focus. And unfortunately, though, many of us struggle with trust and believing God. It's hard. I mean, you turn on your phone, turn on the television, 
and there's a whole river going this way, and we're asked to think this way. But this Scripture suggests that the only way out is by having a strong mind and a belief and a trust that if I trust in Him, He's going to see me through it all and get me to the other side. You know, this scripture was written by a man named Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah. He's one of four major prophets. They call them, there's major prophets, and then there's minor prophets in the Old Testament. And the reason why it's major is because of the size of their writing. You'd think that it would be because of how great they were, but no, it was the size of the scroll. We call them books, but it was the size of the scroll they wrote. And Isaiah wrote the largest prophetic piece called the scroll of Isaiah. And inside of that scroll, it gives you context of what was happening inside of his world. And Isaiah wrote to the people and for us today in the midst of pandemonium. You know what? One thing that's true about throughout all of human history is that the world's just off the hook. You know, Isaiah wrote in a time when it's called, in the Scriptures, it's called the rise and the fall of Jerusalem. He was there and supported two kings, King Ahaz and King Hezekiah. And King Ahaz was like, he was confronted with all these neighboring nations and they were all lobbying for safety. And what he did is he started negotiating with other nations around Jerusalem in order to get safe. And could you imagine what Ahaz was up against being a world leader? Okay? And all of the unrest that was happening in Jerusalem. And at that time, there was also rebellion, doing whatever you wanted to do, idolatry. Idolatry is when we put our faith in things like money to keep us safe and to kind of be our God. And sin. And Isaiah comes to Ahaz and is just like, brings him warning and hope. Say, warning and hope. Warning and hope. Again, warning and hope. Isaiah's message, the whole book of Isaiah, was about warnings of judgment and hope. And you know what? Ahaz made the wrong decision and he negotiated and bargained with nations. And they went and conquered another nation and then it put other nations closer to him and put him in a volatile place because Ahaz's faith was not in God. He didn't trust. And so Isaiah came again and was just like, look at judgments coming. And then he started prophesying like Assyria's coming and is going to take you out and Babylon's coming and is going to take you out. And Ahaz did not trust God. And there was all this turbulence. And Isaiah was writing. That's the context of Isaiah's writings or his scroll. Things were just upside down. Also, then this new king comes in, Hezekiah. And Hezekiah started talking with other nations too about how they're going to keep safe. And Hezekiah's faith was not trusting in the Lord. And then Isaiah and his faithfulness came with a message of what? Judgment and hope. And he says, you know what, Hezekiah? You had better trust God. And what happened right when Isaiah was preaching this to Hezekiah? Guess who started attacking 
Jerusalem, Assyria. They came and they had confirmed the wall, and guess what Hezekiah did? Hezekiah did an amazing thing. Is he chose to have hope, and he placed it in God. And the scripture talks about in Isaiah how he dropped to his knees and he worshipped God, and God delivered them from the Assyrians. But then, guess what Hezekiah did? He does what we all do all the time, is we go right back to our faithlessness. And guess what? Started bargaining and negotiating with these other nations. And he started showing all the treasures that he had, and he started flashing his, with his pride of how well Jerusalem's doing. And then guess what? Isaiah came back up again. It was just like, what message did he have? Judgment and hope. He's like, hey, you got to stop. Don't do this. And then guess what happened? Babylonian came and God did not deliver them and he allowed them to go into exile. What's exile? Is the destruction of the temple happens in Isaiah. The destruction of their temple and then they all became prisoners and were taken from Jerusalem to Babylon. Could you imagine? Let's just imagine real quick. You know what? I turn on the television and flip through my social media and I go nuts. But we're not getting invaded. And I'm not getting in chains taken to a different nation. Talk about trials and testings and sufferings. And guess what? Isaiah is just like, hey, there's one way through this. And is your mind going to be fixed steadfast and stayed on the Lord because if it is you'll be in perfect peace through all that it's the only way through so that's the context that Isaiah wrote his scroll called Isaiah he's one of four major prophets okay so I'm going to read the scripture one more time and I'm going to work to break it down for us this morning. Here it is. You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds... I love when I talk about the mind. As a therapist, I love it. I'm sorry, you've got to be strong-minded, ladies and gentlemen, who are steadfast and stayed because they trust in these words. Okay? So I want to look at five words in that scripture. It's, will keep, keep, peace, mind, stayed or steadfast, and trust. Huge, okay? Real quick, I'm going to tell you the, the Hebrew word for each one and what it means in Hebrew, okay? This is what Isaiah was saying in the midst of all this suffering. Number one is this, keep, it's nasar. Can everyone say, Natsar? Natsar, keep. You know what that means? It means guard, protect, conceal, or besiege. You know what besiege is? Besiege is like when there's this army that surrounds you and you're besieged. And, and Isaiah is saying this, you know what? God's going to keep you in peace. He's going to besiege you in peace. How bad a... Is that he's going to besiege you, he's going to keep you, protect you, conceal you. That's the hope piece. There was judgment and there was hope. That's part of the hope piece. Number two is this peace, shalom. Can everyone say shalom? 
We've heard that, haven't we? You know what that means in that culture, according to the Hebrew language? Safety, wellness, health, prosperity, favor. When people say shalom, and back then it was just like, it was every good thing. Every good thing. You know, I'm not a prosperity preacher. I'm not saying that you're going to have jet airplanes and finances and big banks and all that by putting your trust in God. But God gives something more than that. It's beyond things to secure you and make you feel like you're prosperous. Have you ever had an experience where you've got nothing but have everything? You know, if your life is anything like mine, your bank account goes up and it goes down. Here's the bottom. Up and down. Sometimes mine goes up and below bottom, down. And you know what? There's times and seasons in my life where I had plenty. And there were times and seasons where I had nothing. And in those times and seasons when I had nothing, I had everything. Less eating out, more pulling in, more meals around the table. That's the peace that Isaiah is talking about. The hope that gets you through. It's not dependent on people, places, and things. So shalom. Everyone say shalom. The third one is mind. And you know me, I love the mind. The mind is yetzer. Say yetzer. That's the Hebrew word for mind. And you know what it means? Frame. In my world, every day I'm, talking to, I'm trying to help people reframe things. Well, you could look at it this way, or you could look at it that way. But you know what else it means in the Hebrew language? This is God. Imagination. Imagination. God's all about us constructing an imagination. Did you know that? It's like this. Um, the temple, okay? When Moses came down with the instructions to build the temple in the desert, he came down and he's just like, okay, I have these instructions with all of the furniture and how it's supposed to be laid out. And when you do the study on it, it was a replica or a model of Eden. That's the theology behind it. It had three portions of it going towards the center where the tree of life was and with God. And all the furniture represented different dynamics of the garden. And God's just and, and so God had them build a replica of Eden. Because, and when they built the whole temple... And it had linens. And it was tents, basically, because they were still out in the desert. And they set it all up. And then the people came inside the replica in their imagination of Eden. They knew what was going on. That's when the fire of God came and God moved. God invited them into their imagination back then. The imagination's powerful. You know, I have two sons. And they're, they're middle school guys, so they're really cool now. But there was a time where they were just, their imaginations were going nuts with Legos. And they had Legos and they would be set up 
And they'd be in there playing, and they'd have this whole imagination bubble going on with helicopters and trucks and cars. And you know what? I would come into their space, and I'd be like, what's going on, boys? And the whole imagination would pause. And they'd be like, and they would address what's going on in my mind. And then I'd be like, cool, all right, you guys, here. And they'd go back to this imagination where things were real, and they felt it. That's what God's asking us to do. When it comes, He will keep us with peace, but you've got to have a strong mind and make yourself get into His presence in the midst of what it is that you're going through. I'm sorry. I wish I had this fun, easy way for you to have this perfect peace, but I don't. I'm saying, you know what? Set your mind on Him and the things above in the midst of what you're going through. That was just the third word out of five, by the way. Here's the fourth word. Stayed or steadfast. The Hebrew word is samak. Everyone say samak. You know what that means in Hebrew? It means to prop, to lean, to rest, to lie. He's asking that you would just set your imagination Get your imagination and let it just sleep and rest in His Word. To focus. You know, it's a silly illustration, but it's the type of focus where you you ever get a broom and you're balancing it and you're just all... I mean, look at my face. You're just all... That's... It's just set on the stupid broom head. Or it's like my son playing video games. He's just like... I'm like, hey, bud, throw out the garbage. He's like, in a minute... In a minute. That's it. I wish I had a cool, easy way to have us do what God's asking us to do, but it's a decision. It's a decision and a choice to make your imagination live in the hope of God to see us through this crazy world of things that are happening all around us and even in us. Man, I'm, I'm in middle-aged. I mean, up here I'm still this kid, but things are happening in me. I'm like, no, no. And I have to do work. And let my rest, my perfect peace. As He besieges me, keeps me. And the last one is trust. The Hebrew word for that is batak. See, everyone say batak. That's the Hebrew word and it means this. To trust or to be confident. To be confident. You know what? Um, I, I wish I had an easy way to do this, but this is a partnership with you and God. God's done everything, but He's requiring that you just double down on believing Him. Being confident that He's going to see you through. Yeah, my finances are here again. But guess what? He's going to see me through like He always sees me through. My kids and what's happening in their lives. You know what? I'm confident that He's going to see me through. See, I hold myself differently when I am confident. But guess what? I am sorry. I just got to make myself confident and trust Him. In the face of the whole river going this way and my confident and beliefs going that way. 
This takes work and a decision to be serious. God will besiege you. Okay, so check this out. So, so after we went through the Hebrew words, it changes. Here's the, the new scripture that's more according to the meaning of the Hebrew meaning. God will besiege you. Surround you. He's like all over it. With safety, wellness, favor. When your imagination rests in your confidence in Him. That's the Scripture. That's where we are called to be in this world that we're in today. That's where we're called to be. That's where, that's where Isaiah was calling Israel to be. With invasion happening and exile You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind stayed on you because he trusts in you. This verse comes from a section of Isaiah where God is talking to the Israelites about his protection and love for him. He reminds them that if they stay focused on him and trust in him, he will give them perfect peace. Check this out. So God, so what is the message of Isaiah throughout the whole book of Isaiah? It's judgment and hope. Say it again. Judgment and hope. Over and over and over again. And guess where the hope is? He, he, he puts these punches of hope. What's the hope? Where's my confidence to lie? Here it is. He talks about the root of David. He's like, you know what? Assyria's going to come down and they're gonna, Babylon's going to cut you like a tree and you're going to be left like a stump and that stump's going to be burned and left in the wilderness. And he's like, but there's going to be this seed that sprouts from it. And I want you to put your hope in that seed. Seed from the line of David. You know what? The other time it talks about a seed was in the garden. And Adam and Eve blew it. And God showed up and just made everything right. And he's just like, you devil, you're going to crawl in your belly all the rest of your days. And guess what? Her seed is going to grow up and crush your skull. Yeah, you're going to bite his heel, but you're done for. It's the seed. That's the hope. That was, Isaiah was started talking about this seed, this, this branch that's going to come through David. He's like, put your hope in that. That's Jesus. That's the prophecy of Jesus in Isaiah. Here's the other one he said. He's like, you know what? Also, Moses with the Ten Commandments, it's, he's gonna, you're going to return to the covenant. You're going to be able to do the Ten Commandments without trying. He's going to give you this spirit and this ability, lying, stealing, coveting's going to... He's going to do that in you. Also, the third, the third piece of hope he said was this. It was the Abraham, the promise, promise to bless the nations. And then he, the, he's like, not only are these the hopes, he kept on putting the hope. Here's the hope. When he kept on saying, warning, Assyria, Babylon, exile, you better stop, stop, stop. But here's this hope. Put your mind in this hope. Put your mind in this hope. And then he starts even getting more specific about this hope. He starts even talking about this servant. This suffering servant that's going to come from the, the stump of David. And then he starts talking about how like this service, servant dies. And then the servant reappears. And then he creates this ultimate hope where there's, 
where God's going to deliver everything and everything's going to be restored. And there's going to be this giant city. In fact, in Isaiah, he talks about the tale of two cities. One city is just corrupt and pride and just oppressive. But there's this other city that's coming, you guys. And it's coming from this person, this, this guy, this Messiah. And that's the hope he keeps pointing at. And you've got to be confident. You got, I'm sorry, you've got to believe. You know what? I, I'm sorry, you guys. I'm setting you up to go back out there. There's, there's just mad, it's madness. And I'm saying, have confidence. Have confidence that Jesus got this whole thing dialed in. You're okay. Everything's okay, and everything's going to be okay. This encourages the reader to stay focused on God's promises and remain strong through difficult times. It also speaks to the security found in trusting God for all our needs, no matter how challenging the circumstances may be. No matter how hard. Some of us might be facing serious health issues. Some of us are probably just like toying with the idea of probably way more days behind us than we do in front of us. And God's just like, no, no, don't put your mind on that. Put your mind on this. On me. This verse can be seen as evidence that it's important to have faith and think positively as the mind will naturally follow what we focus on. You let your, I, I'm sorry, we don't have the luxury to allow our mind to drift. I let my mind drift. Oh my gosh. I'm just like, who am I? Sorry, Lord. I'm like knee deep in stuff that I did not think I had the capacity. And I'm, I am sick because I allowed my mind to drift. Those who trust in God and remain steadfast in their beliefs will enjoy a life of inner peace and contentment. You know, when I got first saved, I was, I was a late bloomer. 29. 29 I found the Lord. 29. And I wish I was born earlier because, man, I feel like I wouldn't have developed all these neural pathways and habits towards sin for so long. And so at 29... Old habits died hard. I mean, I loved the Lord. I was zealous. <laughs> I was a mess. And continued to be a mess. But I kept on letting my mind rest a little bit more on Him. Put my mind on Him more and more. And where I allowed my mind to go, my life started lining up more. Am I arrived? Oh, heck no. Ask my wife and my kids. But you know what? Whatsoever you put your mind, your life will lead. Isaiah 26 3 implies that having a relationship with God is essential if one wants to find fulfillment and joy in life. 
Those who rely solely on themselves or external resources may experience moments of happiness and pleasure. However, true joy comes from within when a person has a close relationship with God. You know, everyone has faith, right? Everybody's got faith. Everybody. And most people got faith in themselves. And they are running, working day and night, stressing, strategizing future catastrophes and, and, and future dread and trying to manage and keep it and just like they're in people's minds thinking that they're thinking negatively of them without any definite evidence of this and they're just like their whole life is based on them and what they do or don't do in order to keep safety and peace. All the while, there's no peace. Everyone's got faith. What's your faith? We can trust in the Lord to keep us safe and secure, even as chaos and uncertainty surrounds us. Daniel in the lion's den. Great example. You know what? He said, the king said, set your mind on me in prayer. And he's just all like, yeah, right. Sneaks off and he's just like, I'm going to set my mind on God. And he had people spying on him being like, your mind is not set on this worldly thing. You're going in the lion's den. He's just like, do it. I mean, sometimes, ladies and gentlemen, we just have to accept the consequence of what it is to keep our mind in God. Because guess what? There is going to be threats, more difficulties to do things the right way. Doing the next right thing is hard. It's harder. But that's the place where God shows up. That's the place where God shows up. I, I'll tell you what, every year, forgive me, I, you know what, I'm jacked up. But at, at tax season, I'll just be like, I'll be, my mind will start wandering in places to get around and get over and get under. And I'm just like, no. <laughs> no, God. I'm just going to just be honest and say what it is. And, just take, and then God just shows up later. God's comforting presence is with us always and will bring peace to our souls despite life's difficulties. Apostle Paul was a great example of this. I'm not saying that it's going to be sunshine and roses. The Apostle Paul wrote a couple of his letters at least in prison. One time his letter in prison was he was facing certain death. And he was just like, I'm so grateful to be able to be able to just share God's Word and to write to you. He's like, hey, send for help. And then there's this other part of him just like, and dear God, I hope this doesn't happen. I want God to save me and deliver me. And he just like, he had the capacity to hold differing emotions at once because he was having thoughts of the chaos that he was in in this world, but at the same time, he made his mind steadfast and fixed and God kept him in peace. And may we take that example. I'm not saying that you're going to be saying, skipping and singing zippity doo dah during this time. But you know what? This verse is our only hope to get us through. We can rely on God's strength when we feel overwhelmed in life's circumstances. You know, God shows up even with God's people. Moses, 
Moses, they were at battle against the enemy, and he had Aaron, and I think it was like her holding his arms up. I can't tell you how many times God's people came and helped me. God, through God's people, came and helped me. And you know what? There isn't one trial or test that you've ever got through by yourself. You know that your life, like mine, is filled with so many people's fingerprints. God's going to see you through. By putting your confidence in Him. Perfect peace awaits those who wait patiently upon the Lord and follows His ways closely no matter what happens around them. You know, David waited 15 years to be king. He was prophesied king and had to wait 15 years for a king to exit. And this king he targeted, he'd kill him. And then God allowed him to be killed by David and David wouldn't kill him and he waited. You know what? The garden was all about not waiting. I feel like, I'm not sure I'm right on this, but when God said to Adam and Eve, don't eat the tree of good and evil, I feel like, but there was a tree there and it was fruit. And so it's like, what's fruit for again? And I'm just like, and so I think that God wants us to have the knowledge of good and evil. But it's just like, wait, wait, wait patiently. I got, I'm going to teach you and keep you safe through it. And I'm going to teach you what's good and evil. And we don't wait patiently. And then we end up being dishonest. We're taking what's not ours. Taking, that's, that's a big theme in Eden with Adam and Eve. They took. That's the corruption. Taking. No one was perfect, by the way. Even in the book of Isaiah, check this out. Isaiah wrote this one part in his scroll where he had this vision and God was on this throne. And there were all these angels singing, Holy, Holy, Holy. And he was just all like this. Uh, I'm done for. Because his unholiness was so evident. And you know what he even said? He was just like, Get away! Because I... I think the exact term was something like, I, I'm, I'm, I'm from a, I have unclean lips and I'm from a people with unclean lips. In other words, he was just like, hey, even though I'm bringing warning and hope messages, I got six fingers coming back to me while I'm pointing at these kings in Jerusalem to change. I'm no different. None of these people were different. Paul, he was like a murderer. He wasn't perfect. He was like the sinner of sinners. He declared it in the Scriptures. Moses was far from perfect. God was going to kill him one day because he was disobedient. He wasn't even allowed to go into the promised land because of, he got mad and lost it. Not perfect. Isaiah wasn't perfect. I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. No one's asking you to be perfect. I'm asking you to get up. Get a strong mind. Fake it. Fake your confidence in Him that He's going to show up and fail forward into your faith in Him. You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. This verse is a reminder that true peace and security comes from trusting God and not relying on ourselves or the world. By putting our trust in God, 
we experience the peace and joy of living a life grounded in Him. No nouns. What is no nouns? In the recovery community, 12 steps, 12 steps community, uh, recovery community, going to meetings groups, they're all over, by the way. I think Santa Cruz has like the most of any city around. It's where, by the way, the 12 step is like the world's foremost authority on people finding recovery from addiction. I'm a therapist helping people with addiction, and I don't hold a candlestick. The crew of therapists and treatment facilities don't hold a candlestick to this 12-step group where there's like, I don't know, you just walk in and there's a recovery coffee that's like mud, and they're just like, and they sit around, and they just, they're told to not give advice, but to just share their own story. And, and it's faith-based, and it was, it's from this guy named Bill who had this conversion experience, and then he was a doctor on his deathbed, and he goes, how did I find recovery? And he, and he went and tracked, and he did a research project on how he found it. And the first step was, I'm not going to have, I'm, I'm a mess. That's the first step. Realizing I am, I am doomed, doomed mess. Second step is giving yourself over to God and being steadfast on Him to restore order, because that's the only way. And these greetings and mo- um, meetings and groups are all because they came in there because they were steadfast and kept their minds on people, places, and things to give them peace. And they hit bottom and crashed. And the way out is to just give up on all that and surrender. 12-step meeting is a place just like... I'll I'll, I'll refer many of my clients to 12-step, and they're like, no, I'm not one of them. And I'm just like, oh, yes, we are. Oh, yes, we are. Okay. I could talk all day. Forgive me. Okay. The passage also highlights the importance of having an unwavering mind. I've talked about an unwavering strong mind. Our thoughts must be aligned with what is true rather than what appears true. Can I tell you guys that like, okay, I'm a psychotherapist. I meet with clients all day. And even some evenings, doggone it. I I work too much. And most people have mood challenges with anxiety, depressed mood, anger. And then their life feels out of order. Some, Some of their lives are still in order, but they just feel so out of order. And my training as a psychotherapist is to just be like, okay, God didn't miss it with our emotions. All of our emotions are supposed to be there. God created us. He gave us sadness, anxiety, anger. It's like there's instructions on how to be all this. It's like... That's not bad. But the world just like declares that negative emotions are bad. And negative emotions, it's not like positive numbers and negative numbers and positive numbers are good and negative numbers are bad. No, they're just numbers. Same with the emotions. Positive emotions and negative emotions are just emotions. And what's why? This is why. Is because emotions are just like a comet trail to the comet or a thought. 
let's say the thought, the comet is passing through my mind. Oh, I had that thought right now. And there's a comet trail with the emotion. Here's the deal. Is that thought, here's what people, people are just, and then people are like, the negative emotions is telling us something needs to stop or change. Something needs to be done about it, right? 100% of the time. And so, but people believe that every thought they have is the truth and right and rational and founded. And so they're always trying to fix, save, construct, overextend in order to make the negative emotion go away. And in, most, in some cases where you're rational, that's correct. Look at I had some anxiety doing this message. I was just like, oh, God, uh, uh, what pro presenter? What? How do you do? Uh, I don't have time to figure that out. Oh, my God. Dear God, help. Uh. And that, guess what? That was a rational thought that gave me a supported anxiety emotion, and it put me into rational behavior to hustle. But there are other thoughts that come in. In our pride, we can think that everything we think is rational. And so many people are thinking irrational thoughts that are triggering negative emotions, and then they're out there trying to fix stuff that's not even ought to be fixed. Many people, you know what? In psychology, in science, the secular world, they provide a rubric of, they're like, ten irrational umbrellas. If your thoughts filter under one or multiple of these ten irrational umbrellas, guess what? You're being irrational. And I'm like, I hand out these rubrics to people, and they're just like, and guess what the first one is? Jumping to conclusions or predicting dreadful futures. Even the world knows that when your mind goes there, you're being irrational. How often am I tripping about the future? And even the world and science is telling people, stop. Here's another one. Uh, Mind reading. People are thinking negatively without any definite evidence of it. I'll meet with people and they're just like, I feel like I'm going to get fired. Uh, There's uh, work evaluation coming up and I'm just need to, and I'm just like, and and I'm like, what's telling you that you're going to get fired? I don't know. My boss is even saying I'm doing a great job. See, social anxieties from this. People can't even go into anxiety because they're so up in people's minds thinking that they're thinking negatively enough that they can't even do it. That's what makes us shy away all the time. It's, and often, in tandem, we're predicting a dreadful or catastrophic future about mind reading. And none of it's rational. And then we're having irrational behaviors to control it by withdrawal and isolation. And then let me tell you about withdrawal and isolation. It's a killer. And so then I'll work with the client and we'll, I'll show them all this. And they're like, huh. <sighs> oh my gosh. And I'm like, yeah, that's a lot of pride. Oh my God, I'm being so prideful. And they'll be like, so what do I do? I'm like, well, don't think that. And everything, what if everything's okay and everything's going to be okay? They're like, I don't believe it. I'm like, nor should you. You know why? Because whatsoever you do often, you believe, whether it's healthy or unhealthy. And how you get at it? 
the way you got here is you thought the unhealthy thought over and over again and you developed this belief. And the way, that's the same way you get out. Is you start making yourself think, I'm okay. Everything's okay. And everything's going to be okay. And God's going to see me through. I don't tell them about God because I'm a secular therapist. And I say, just fake it. Go do it and make yourself do it. And it's called, there's a clinical term called avoidance. Avoidance copes with anxiety unhealthily. And there's an anxiety cycle. There's anxiety, avoidance, temporary relief because that's what it does. Temporarily, uh, procrastination, that's an, coping unhealthily with anxiety, by the way. And then it's long-term anxiety, right? But then there's another clinical term called challenging avoidance. And I'll be like, get up and put your face and body in the middle of all that. I'm sorry. And I, I apologize, just like I apologize to you guys. I'm sorry. There's no awesome, easy way to do this. Get up and go do it as if. And they come back and they feel better. They get up out of bed from their depression. They make themselves go do this. They go out in public and commune with other people. They start feeling better. I'm like, yeah. And then guess what? Their belief system starts to shift slowly over here because they're starting to implement these behaviors. I'm going to work the close now because I'm tired of listening to myself talk. There's a story. A small family had gone through a great tragedy. The father, a kind and loving man, had recently passed away from a disease. They were devastated, but wanted to honor his memory and keep him alive through their stories of their shared experiences together. In order to carry on his legacy, they decided to move back into their old home where so many special memories in life were made. As they settled into their new old home, they found themselves comforted by the knowledge that although this was an end to one chapter in life, it was also a beginning to another journey. A journey which the Father would still be a part of, albeit in spiritual form. The family then remembered Isaiah 26.3. You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. This verse reminded them that no matter what happens, as long as they keep our trust strong with God and have faith that things will work out for our own good, whatever circumstances we may face, we can find strength even amid sorrow over loss or difficult times. This renewed hope provided comfort during these trying times and gave the family something else to focus on while mourning the loss of its dear father, who was now only present spiritually, rather. So in these chaotic times, thank the Lord we're not getting evaded like Isaiah. God, through Isaiah, gave this amazing Christian tool here. That whoever's mind is fixated on God, when they're confident, trust in Him, He'll give them perfect peace. Let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, how awesome are You 
that you're going to see us through. How awesome. That even though we're not okay, we're okay. And, everything that, and even though things aren't okay, things are okay. And how things are going to be okay. Because you've besieged us on every angle. And you've got us. We thank you. And we love you. And we praise you. And bless us as we go have strong minds and unswerving confidence in your Son, Jesus, who saved us. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, Amen.